As we've seen in this study, the book of Judges is filled with fascinating characters, complex and tragic stories, and a constant mixture of human sin and error and the grace and mercy of God. It's fitting in many ways that the last judge in the cycle of judges is the person of Samson, who is maybe the most complex character in the whole of the book. Samson is something of a riddle in himself. As the Australian Old Testament scholar Barry Webb puts it, the story of Samson contains riddles. And in a sense, that is what the whole story is, a riddle, an enigma like Samson himself. In some ways, Samson is very unlike the earlier judges that we've read about. Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, all of them were unlikely heroes. Deborah, the woman, Gideon, who was cowardly and timid in the beginning of the story. Jephthah, of course, the, uh, the, the fighter and the son of a prostitute. But Samson, Samson's different. Samson is a man that was born to be a leader and a deliverer. And in one sense, Samson was everything that Israel had been hoping for. He was the strong man who could stand up for this underdog people. He was a man of power who could take down their enemies. Soon after the book of Judges concludes, we read the story of Israel's demand for a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel, the prophet, warns Israel against a king, but they insist. They say, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. This is an understandable desire on the part of the people of Israel to have someone who is a strong leader, someone who will take charge, a warrior who will fight their battles for them, someone that will be bold and help them overcome their own weaknesses. But in the story of Samson, we see the result of what happens when such power is divorced from wisdom and from responsibility, when power is used for selfish ends. In his great epic poem about the story of Samson, John Milton raises this question when he says, What is strength without a double share of wisdom? Vast, unwieldy, burdensome, proudly secure, yet liable to fall by weakest subtleties. Not made to rule, but to subserve where wisdom bears command. Now, the story of Samson is the longest and the most complex of all of the stories in Judges. And I've divided it into three parts. I want to think about the calling of Samson, the character of Samson, and then the conclusion of Samson's story. So let's begin by talking about the calling of Samson. Now, just as in all the other stories that we've read, Samson's story begins with Israel once again abandoning the ways of God, doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and falling into bondage. But then there's something unique that happens. An angel of the Lord comes to this couple in the tribe of Dan and tells them that even though they are barren, they will have a child 
and that he will be a deliverer. Here's what the angel says to the woman, the wife. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, this mention of a Nazarite comes from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6 talks about a vow, the Nazarite vow, when someone is set apart for God. Usually, this vow is just for a certain amount of time, but for Samson, it's his entire life. And because of this, because Samson is a Nazarite from birth, he cannot consume grape-based alcohol, he cannot cut his hair, and he cannot touch dead bodies. And these restrictions that go along with his vow, they relate to the fact that he has a unique calling. As the angel said, he is to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That is Samson's purpose. Now, at first, after the angel comes, Samson's father, Manoah, doesn't believe his wife's account. Eventually, he does meet the angel himself, and he sees evidence of his power, and he believes. And then the chapter ends with the Spirit of God coming upon Samson, and he becomes strong as he grows. Now, what's remarkable, though, is that Samson, if you read his story, seems either not to know or not to care about his calling. He violates the, the stipulations of his Nazarite vow on multiple occasions. Uh, he, he takes honey out of the dead carcass of a lion and eats it casually as if it's no thing at all. He picks up a jawbone of a donkey that is still fresh, meaning once again he has touched a dead body. And he shows no real interest, it seems, in actually delivering, delivering Israel from the Philistines. Sometimes, as a reader, you start to wonder whether his parents even told him about his vow and his calling. But then when we get to the end of Samson's story with Delilah, it's clear that Samson does know about it, and he seems to have known about it the whole time. The problem is he just doesn't seem to care. The Old Testament scholar Daniel Block puts it this way, Samson's problem with his vow is not so much that he violates it, he simply does not take it seriously. Like his strength and the people around him, it is a toy to be played with, not a calling to be fulfilled. Now, Samson's strange, casual, uncaring way of relating to this vow and calling, it raises the second theme which I want to look at, and that is Samson's character. St. Augustine once said, that in order to discover the character of any people, we have only to observe what they love. Now, when he said this, Augustine had in mind the character of a whole people group, but this applies to individuals as well. And with Samson, what he loves is clear. He loves himself. And you can see this if you pay attention to how Samson treats the people around him. He lies to his parents and disrespects them by taking honey out of a dead animal and not only violating his vow, but making them unclean by giving it to them and never mentioning where he got it, lying to them about it. He sees foreign women 
a foreign woman and he demands her for his wife. Later, he casually sleeps with a prostitute. All throughout his story, when Samson sees something that he wants, he just takes it. He happens again and again. First with the Timnite woman, this Canaanite woman from the village of Timnah, where he says in chapter 14, verse two, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, he tells his father, now get her for me as my wife. His parents object to this request because it violates God's commands. Israel is not supposed to be taking Canaanite women as wives, but Samson insists and says, she is right in my eyes. Well, then again, soon after that, we read that he sees the carcass of lion filled with honey and he just takes and eats. The same thing happens in Gaza. We read in chapter 16, verse one, that Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. Samson seems to give little consideration to anything other than whether he wants it or not. If he wants it, he takes it. Also notice about his character that whenever Samson does use his strength, it is never to deliver the people of Israel. It is almost entirely and purely for the sake of personal gain or for carrying out some angry vendetta. In chapter 14, for instance, Samson becomes angry at the men of the village of Timnah uh, for cheating in uh, finding an answer to a riddle he gave them. And so in his anger, he goes off and he kills 30 Philistines to pay off the wager. This does nothing to deliver Israel, but it is revenge on Samson's part. In chapter 15, he becomes angry because the woman who was supposed to be given to him as a wife is given to another man. So he burns down the fields of the Philistines and then he kills them when they punish the woman and her father. And then he kills another 1,000 Philistines after they capture him. This is indicative of Samson's behavior throughout everything we read. He never really works to liberate his people, Israel. He doesn't really try to deliver them from the Philistines. In fact, you could say, Samson seems very happy to live with Philistines and sleep with Philistines and marry Philistines. And the only time he uses violence against them is when he's angry and when he's out for personal revenge. In uh, his commentary on this book, another Old Testament scholar named Lawson Younger, he, here's his summary of Samson's character after noting this selfish behavior and this propensity to use strength only for violence of revenge. Lawson Younger says, Samson is one of the most narcissistic persons in all the Bible. Self-gratification is what drives this man. Never does he operate in anyone's interest but his own. He does not care about God's plan or any of the divine standards of either his place as an Israelite or his Nazarite status. He does not care about the will of his parents or the hearts of his quote unquote lovers. All are to be manipulated for his sake. So yes, Samson has strength and yes, he can be clever at times, but his character 
who he is, is determined by what he loves. And what Samson loves is himself. So what ultimately happens to this brash, hot-headed, narcissistic strongman? What is the conclusion to his story? Well, it should come as no real surprise. What brings Samson down is precisely his inability to deny himself the thing that he loves. And this time, what he loves is a woman named Delilah. There's some real tragedy in the story of Samson and Delilah. Delilah is actually the first person that we are told of whom Samson actually loves. Nowhere else in his story are we told that he loves someone except for Delilah. And she is the first woman in his story who is even named. Neither the woman he was going to marry in Timnah is named, nor even Samson's mother has been named. Delilah is the first. We are told in chapter 16, verse 4, that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. But Delilah, it seems, does not return Samson's love. Just like Samson, in many ways, in other parts of his story, she uses and manipulates him to get what she wants, which is money. The Philistine leaders bribe her to trick them, to trick Samson and, and betray him, and she does. And the tragic irony in all of this is that this man, this strong man who is normally the one who tricks and lies to others, he finds himself in the end tricked and betrayed. This man who is governed by sight, what he sees, he takes, finds himself at the end of his story blinded, eyes gouged out, he cannot see. This man who is impetuous and does what he wants and no one can stop him is in the end of his story bound and imprisoned and having to be led around. This man who humiliates his enemies is in the end humiliated in return. But Samson, even after being betrayed, his story is not over yet. We're told that the lords of the Philistines all gathered together for a feast to celebrate their god Dagon and that they're celebrating the victory of their god and they bring Samson out to entertain. And this blind, hobbling Samson, he asked to be positioned between two of the pillars, the foundation pillars of the building. And he prays to God for one last bout of strength so that, and it's important to note, so that he can have one last act of revenge. Here's his prayer at the end of chapter 16. O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. God does indeed answer Samson's prayer and he gives him strength. And Samson pushes these pillars and brings down the entire building, killing himself and everyone else present in his last act of vengeance. And this is in some ways an act of faithfulness by God. Because despite Samson's deep flaws, 
despite even the flawed motivation that he had in this final act of violence. God does indeed use Samson, just as the angel said, to begin to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines by being the means by which their leaders are destroyed. Well, what can we learn from this story of Samson? Like most of the characters in the book of Judges, most of these deeply flawed characters, we learn something first and foremost about ourselves. In his epic drama that I mentioned earlier, John Milton has a line, which is spoken by the chorus, some of the Israelites, and they address Samson. And when they address him, they say, O mirror of our fickle state. Samson is in many ways a mirror, not only for the Israelites, but for us as well. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he talks about the common tendency for people to live uh, according to the flesh, which means to be led around and, and to have our lives driven by self-indulgent desires. In the book of Philippians, Paul similarly talks about those whose stomach is their God, whose desires control what they do. Uh, the Apostle James, likewise, talks about uh, how strong desires can be and, and the destruction in which they can, to which they can carry us. Here's what James says in chapter 4 of his letter. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's interesting that of all the Ten Commandments, the longest commandment, by way of simply the amount of words, is the tenth, the one that begins, you shall not covet. Why is this? Why devote the most amount of words to this commandment about coveting? Why prohibit desire of what belongs to someone else? There's a French historian and philosopher named René Girard who spent practically his entire career thinking about this question. And the answer that he has come up with is because desire, wanting what belongs to another, is the thing which inevitably leads to rivalry and to violence. And Samson is a perfect illustration of this. He's a perfect illustration of what James talks about. He does not, he desires and does not have, and so he murders. He covets and cannot obtain, and so he fights and he quarrels. Now, you and I may not be as strong as Samson, but our desires, our self-indulgent desires, can still be our God. And that's the first lesson for us, is that Samson throws up something as a mirror of our fickle state, throws up something to confront us with, a truth about ourselves. There's a second uh, lesson that this story teaches. God still used Samson, as I said, despite his many flaws. But it's clear that Samson is not really the kind of deliverer that Israel needed. I, I find it fascinating that a lot of the early church fathers, when they read the story of Samson, they would look for parallels to the person of Jesus. How is it that Samson is sort of a figure or a type of Christ, they would ask. 
especially in the manner of his death. And there's some truth to some of their observations about the parallels. But when I look at Samson, what I see is a man who is in many ways the complete opposite of Jesus. He's not so much a type of Christ as an anti-type. Think about it. Samson is led around and controlled by his stomach. He sees something and he takes it. Jesus, on the other hand, is led around by the Spirit. And when he is tempted and offered something, he denies it for the sake of the mission that he has been given. Samson is someone who responds to others wronging him by taking out vengeance upon them. Whereas Jesus not only tells his followers that they should turn the other cheek, but does so himself when he is falsely accused, when he is beaten, he not only doesn't seek vengeance, he prays for those who persecute him. Samson is someone that uses his strength for himself. But Jesus is someone who, though strong, embraces weakness for the sake of others. And in many ways, this difference between Samson and Jesus this is the challenge that Christ presents to us. And you can see it in Jesus' own lifetime. Often his followers wanted him to be more like Samson. They wanted him to fight, to be bold, to take revenge. But Jesus, again and again, refuses to do so. He chooses the way of suffering. And he tells his followers that if they want to follow him, if you want to follow me, he says, then you must also embrace this way of the cross. You must take up your cross and follow me. You must embrace not the way of power, but the way of weakness and suffering for the sake of love. As we read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, we are confronted with a question. Which kind of deliverer do you and I really want? Who would we rather follow? Do we want some, so, someone like Samson, the strong man? Or do we want to follow the weak and humble Jesus? And just like Jesus' disciples, this isn't a question that we just answer one time. This is something Jesus says that we must do daily to choose this way of following him by picking up our cross. This reminds me of a prayer that we Anglicans pray during Holy Week. The prayer begins, Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. And then the prayer asks a petition. Mercifully grant that we walking in the way of the cross may find it none other than the way of life and peace. What we learn in the story of Samson is that the way of strength and power, of seeing and taking, it may seem attractive for a time, but it ends ultimately in destruction. Whereas the way of the cross, if we follow Jesus, this may, this may require suffering on our part, but it is ultimately what leads to fullness of joy.